0: You tuned in to The Kojo Nam, the show on WMU 88.5. Welcome. In D.C., thousands of public school students and teachers are expected to return Monday for a partial reopening, including some hybrid classes. And across the region, officials like the governors of Maryland and Virginia are urging school districts to get all kids back into the classroom. But... Given current community spread and the threat of new viral variants, many still worry that schools simply won't be safe for children, teachers, or staff. So, how are local schools working to ensure safety protocols are put in place and followed once students return? And how long will it take? for all teachers to get vaccinated. Later in the broadcast, we'll be hearing from Elizabeth Davis, who is president of the Washington Teachers Union. Joining us now is Louis Ferraby, chancellor of D.C. Public Schools. Chancellor Ferraby, thank you very much for joining us.
1: Thank you, Kojo. I appreciate you
0: having me. Also joining us is Debbie Trong, WMU's education reporter. Debbie, thank you for joining us. Feel free to jump in with questions of your own at any time. Thanks, Kojo. Um... Lewis be. local officials are not the only ones pushing for reopening. President Joe Biden has says he'll throw the strength of the federal government behind the effort to reopen schools as soon as possible. But at this moment, we're seeing a rampant community spread, and we're also seeing new variants of the virus that we don't know much about yet. So how did D.C. public schools decide on a partial reopening starting next week?
1: Yeah, so over the past few months, our school teams have worked diligently to prepare our school buildings to welcome students back uh, with a focus on developing school plans that are very unique and tailored to the needs of that particular school community through our reopening community core teams and then our health and safety commitments. Uh, I believe you mentioned it, it was referenced at the opening that. The preponderance of data available and the evidence suggests we hear from the CDC, we also hear from the American Association of Pediatrics, that there's been little evidence that schools have meaningfully contributed to uh, community transmission. So we know that uh, science is available for us to refer to, but more importantly, we have our health and safety commitments. And it's reflected in what we hear from President Biden in the White House, and that it's important to have testing protocols. Uh, DCPS has asymptomatic and symptomatic uh, testing protocols. It's important to have PPE, which we have provided to our schools. And it's also important, uh, as you can, provide students with technology and connectivity needed to continue remote learning for those students who choose that path. And we're offering that option to families. So we believe that we're well aligned with uh, what's in the science and also what's being uh, proposed by our leadership for the nation.
0: But some teachers and advocates are concerned that returning staff will not receive both vaccinations in time. Some are only getting their first dose this week. Is everyone who's returning to school grounds being vaccinated?
1: Yes, so we made the uh, vaccine available to everyone that is working in person. Uh, And we're really pleased that it started on last night with a successful uh, first day launch with uh, over 460 doses administered last night. And then we have more dates uh, this week on the 28th, 29th, and then all day on Saturday the 30th. Uh, We have approximately 3,840 doses available to staff that are working in person. But those vaccine doses must be delivered
0: a month apart, and for some who have yet to receive their second vaccination, school still nevertheless starts next Monday. Why not just wait until all teachers have received both doses of the vaccine?
1: So, uh, Coach, we've been utilizing a a layered approach to our health and safety commitment. And so this is one layer, but it is not a prerequisite for us of reopening, and it never has been in our planning. So while we're excited to administer the vaccine uh, to those that uh, have volunteered and signed up to receive it, uh, it is not a requirement for us to, to open schools. And... We will continue to rely on our other layers um, that have aligned to science and proven to be effective, which includes, you know, cohorting students, uh, ensuring that we have proper social distancing, uh, ensuring that there are um, symptom checks each day in the morning. uh, And then of course the testing protocols that I mentioned earlier. And then we've invested millions of dollars uh, in our HVAC enhancements, And we have a medical grade mobile unit uh, in each classroom space that utilizes ultraviolet light and uh, top of line filterization for uh, a classroom space and mitigating uh, the transmission of COVID 19. So we believe we've done a lot of great work and our buildings are ready to receive students and we're planning accordingly uh, for February 1st on Monday.
0: Allow me to be more specific. Our teachers who have not received vaccinations going to nevertheless be required mandatorily to return to classrooms.
1: So I want to be clear that the time period between the first dose and the second dose is uh, about three weeks. uh, So it's not a month. And again, that's not a requirement for staff or a requirement for our reopening plans. Uh, It is another layer of protection that we're excited about. Uh, we okay. also have uh, a, a selection process based on each school plan and how we identify staff that will work in person. And once you're identified, then you become available uh, for the vaccine.
0: How was input from students, parents, teachers, and school staff factored into this plan to return?
1: Yeah, I'm glad you asked that. So I want to go back to the reopening community core teams that I mentioned earlier. Uh, Each school has a team of about 12 to 15 diverse voices which could include students, staff, uh, parents, community members that help guide the planning for schools and their reopening plan. And many of the plans look different from school to school but ultimately reflect uh, what's needed uh, in terms of their student population. So for example, um, some schools are focusing a lot on social emotional development at the secondary level. Um, we see um, two cohorts of students, or two teachers in some cases, or a AM and PM rotation, or a Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday rotation. So, uh, some are utilizing technology to have uh, the same teacher teach both students remotely and in person. So, there's a wide range of options uh, and schools had the opportunity to go through a very rigorous planning process with their school communities, and we're glad that uh, a very grassroots approach was applied and many voices are represented in the plans that schools will be implementing starting next week.
0: The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention have said with proper precautions in place, there is scant transmission of the coronavirus in schools, and you have described for us what... You see a safe school experience looking like during the pandemic. You've told us about some of the protocols that have been put in place to ensure that students and teachers and staff do not become infected with the virus. But here is Brenna in Arlington, D.C. Uh, Brenna, you're on the air. Go ahead, please.
2: Oh, hi.
3: Um, yeah, I just I just wanted to mention that while the CDC has said that with safety precautions in place, it is. Safe to return to schools. I'm not sure that we've met all of those precautions in, um, and at least the area where I teach, which is Virginia, um, because according to the CDC, restaurants should be closed or restricted. Um, we have bars open where I am. Um, we would need to have um, robust contact tracing, which I'm not sure is happening. Um, and I, I don't know that every school um, has evaluated their ventilation systems um, and been completely transparent with the community about you know the degree to which that is safe so to me i I feel like the headlines about this are a little bit misleading when it's saying that we can reopen schools safely when we know that a lot of the requirements just aren't being met
0: good respond to that chancellor fairman
1: yeah thank thank you brenna uh i think you raised some important questions i can speak directly for for dc and dcps uh we have had a um expert engineer Uh, evaluate all of our HVAC systems and we've made uh, reports available of the work that has been done to enhance our HVAC systems uh, and we've done that as transparently as possible. Uh, And we have also very robust contact tracing if there's ever, you know, a positive case um, in a school environment and we also report that information transparently as well. So, Uh, I think what we see here in in the district specific to DCPS is that we are uh, very tightly aligned to uh, the health and safety measures that are being uh, promoted and discussed among uh, the CDC, uh, the American Association of Pediatrics, and of course, from the White House and Biden administration. Johnny in Arlington has a slightly different
0: view. Johnny, your turn. Hi, Kojo. Thanks for taking the call.
4: I strongly believe that CO2 meters and benchmarks for the CO2 meters will be really important for opening schools. And what a CO2 meter does is it measures the amount of exhaled breath in the room, and it gives you a way to quantify how much air is being exchanged with the fresh outdoor air.
0: Chancellor Ferby, will there be a use of CO2 meters in D.C. public schools?
1: Yeah, I, I I won't speak too much to the the meters because that's not my area of expertise. We are leaning on the expertise of our engineers who are uh, nationally recognized and nationally certified to to lead this type of work. They are evaluating all of our work that is happening in our building as it relates to ventilation and. Uh, filterization uh, of air and rooms and space. It's also important to note that we have uh, regular, ongoing monitoring of these systems uh, and air quality. uh, And there's also a regular cadence of our operation teams reviewing all of our health and safety protocols uh, to ensure that we maintain uh, alignment and compliance with the standards we set for ourselves.
0: We got an email from Kari who says that as a parent of a seventh grader in Fairfax County Public Schools, I am confounded that I can drink wine at a winery maskless. I can go to a restaurant and eat indoors surrounded by maskless people. And yet our children can't return to school. Schools, teachers, counselors, social networks provide social, emotional, and educational needs that screens simply cannot do. And for low-income kids who rely on schools to provide meals, and more. It is heartbreaking. Um, Carrie has some more to say, but we don't have a great deal of time left in this segment, so we're going to take a short break and then come back to continue this conversation. I'm Coach Namdi.
3: This month at WAMU, we're lifting our voices to shine a light on black changemakers throughout American history. Some you know and some you don't, but they all change the world. Hear the stories of these incredible scientists, activists, artists, and more throughout February on WAMU 88.5 and streaming at WAMU.org.
0: Welcome back. We're discussing schools reopening. Right now we're talking with Lewis Furby, the chancellor of D.C. Public Schools. Later we'll be talking with Elizabeth Davis, the president of the Washington Teachers Union. Also joining us is Debbie Trong, WMU's education reporter, and we're taking your calls at 800-433-8850. Chancellor Furby, who is returning to school exactly? It's my understanding this phase is opt-in. Parents can decide if they want their kids to return. Is that correct?
1: That is correct. Uh, so right now, uh, the majority of the students participating in-person programming, uh, close to 90% represent the students that we prioritize, which includes students who are uh, identified as at risk, um, who are receiving uh, special education or language learning services or experiencing homelessness. Okay. Uh, those are the same groups of students that we'll prioritize and are prioritizing for term three. Uh, We currently have now approximately 5,000 elementary age students who have accepted a seat, uh, and that number continues to grow daily. Uh, We have approximately 2,000 plus high school and middle school students that have accepted a seat for in-person programming uh, slated to start Monday. That number, again, is evolving. Uh, But what's important to note about those acceptances is that We prioritize those groups that I I referenced earlier. And then schools are also identifying students who may need in-person programming based on their experiences, either with attendance or engagement. And then we then offer seats to other families. Uh, So the goal is to to maximize as much of our in-person capacity as possible, but also prioritizing the groups that I referenced.
0: And how many teachers are being asked to come back?
1: Yeah, so that's, that's a number that um, also has um, been moving as we have evolved. Uh, so we have approximately 2,000-plus uh, teachers that are slated to come back uh, to the classroom. Um, but again, we all have other uh, members of our Washington Teacher Union uh, that will be supporting us, and then we have also other support staff that have been and will continue to support in person programming.
0: Debbie Trong, you were at Dunbar High School last night as the first round of DC Public Schools staff were receiving the vaccinations. What did you hear from some of the people there?
5: Sure. So, yeah, about 500 staff members were scheduled to get their first dose of the vaccine last night at Dunbar. Um, the line was incredibly long, it stretched several blocks um and you know the teachers i spoke with i really shared a sort of sense of relief that you know the va- with the vaccine they feel a lot safer going back into classrooms. You know, at the same time, though, I've heard from educators who say that D.C. public schools is, you know, reopening um, too early. They should wait until, you know, these teachers say that the school system should wait until teachers have had the opportunity to get both doses of the vaccine and that doing so, a reopening before that point is an unnecessary risk.
0: What are some of the bigger concerns you're hearing from teachers, students, and parents about this partial return to school?
5: Sure. So, you know, some of the parents and teachers I've I've talked with um, have shared that they feel that there's... They, they lack trust, essentially, in the school system and in its admi- administrators. Um, teachers especially have shared that, you know, they've historically lacked supplies, basic supplies, um, for cleaning and for their classrooms. And, you know, they simply just don't feel... Um, or have a lot of faith that the school system will get what give them what they need to stay safe. Um, I, I've also heard more recently concerns um, about, you know, the new variants of the coronavirus that are more transmissible. You know, I think there's, you know, a lot of hesitance among families who are uncertain about what those variants mean and um, are going the, the safer route or what they think is a safer route. Um, And I also think like one, you know, really notable thing that um, I don't want to get lost in this is that I've heard from parents who, you know, don't feel comfortable with sending their kids back to um, school buildings, like inside classrooms, but they want more opportunities for things like outdoor learning, you know, you know, same families who are maybe reluctant to have their child, you know, sitting in a classroom for, for many hours in a day are much more open to outdoor learning opportunities.
0: Indeed. We got a tweet from Priya who says, will you proactively offer resources to schools for outdoor learning for better academic health and socio-emotional outcomes for kids and teachers? Dr. Farabee?
1: Yes. We, we're definitely open to providing resources. We have provided resources to schools uh, that have expressed interest in uh, outdoor activity and outdoor learning. Uh, it's a un- there are some limitations, um, especially weather, and the outdoor footprint for each school is is very different. And uh, given our urban um, structures around our campuses, um, sometimes that is not the best uh, situation environment for for outdoor learning. However, if schools are interested going down that. Path, we're happy to support them. Uh, but I, w- I want to go back to something Debbie mentioned about you know there's you know a worry that. A teacher or a staff member may not have access to PPE or cleaning supplies. I want to be clear that that is a part of our readiness checklist. Uh, and myself, he goes, I also go to schools and ensure that those materials are there. So each school has a very rich supply closet. There are uh, sanitizing materials throughout the building, wipes in the classroom. In fact, last night at Dunbar High School, just did a walkthrough as I was waiting for the vaccine and and watching the process last night. In every classroom that I went in, there was um, wipes, sanitizers, uh, and all the disinfectants that a teacher or staff member would need. So I want to be really clear that those materials and resources are readily available.
0: Yeah, but Dunbar is a prominent school in Northwest Washington. Some teachers, particularly those east of the river, have said they don't trust the district to meet those health and safety protocols in the lower in the schools and lower income districts. What would you say to reassure them?
1: Yes, yeah, so I would say the same. Is is I visited other schools um you know i've seen evidence of that in excel academy and i visit their campus and um principal pritchard i know has everything that she needs and has also with her staff that uh they have all the resources accordingly Uh, we do building this readiness walkthroughs at all of our schools, and i know this week um we had several people for example, while. Oh, you're breaking up on us while we try to
0: make sure we get the chancellor back. Here is an anonymous caller in Loudoun County. You're on the air. Please go ahead.
6: Hi, Kojo. I, I understand we have the uh, state finance and safety issues that everybody's concerned about, but looking at it from a, a little bit different perspective, um, on Monday, Fairfax hospital had nine admissions of teenagers for suicide attempt in one day. So let that sink in nine, all of Fairfax County, as far as COVID had eight hospitalizations that includes Reston hospital, Fair Oaks hospital, Fairfax hospital. Okay. I'm not saying that we're on equal footing, but how this isn't the crisis everybody's talking about is, is amazing. New York times ran an article on the weekend about one school district in Nevada that has already had 18 suicides. We're losing the best and brightest of our teams, and not just the suicide. A lot of them are just checking out of school completely. If we had only half the kids agree to come back for hybrid, and only half of those came every other day, we'd end up with a class size of 9 or 10. I think we can get teachers to be considered essential workers and make the conditions safe enough where if they're all wearing masks, we can get some kids back in school.
0: Uh, Chancellor Cherubi, did you hear that? Can you hear me? Yes, I can. We hear you. Go ahead, please. Oh, well, we're still testing with the chancellor, but here's a tweet from Dorothy who says, schools should not be forced to open until teachers and operational staff are safe. No matter what work has been done to the buildings, kids will hug the teachers. Well, I can say to the chancellor, kids will be kids. What is the plan, if any, for enforcement of social Distancing and other safety measures for younger students in particular. If you're there, Chancellor Ferby, you have about one minute. Okay. Uh, oh, we're still testing with Chancellor Ferby, so we're going to have to let him go or um, keep him for a few minutes after we finish this break. But after the break, we'll definitely be talking with Elizabeth Davis, the president of the Washington Teachers Union. I'm Kojo Nandi. Welcome back. We're discussing 2021 schools reopening. And when we took that last break, the chancellor of D.C. public schools, Lewis Farabee, was having we were having some technical problems. So he didn't get a chance to respond to the last issue, nor did we get a chance to say goodbye to him. So, Chancellor Farabee, can you hear me now?
1: I can hear you. Can you hear me?
0: Yes, we can. Dorothy tweets, schools should not be forced to be open until teachers and operational staff are safe. No matter what work has been done to the buildings, kids will hug the teachers and lunch ladies. Wait until we're all vaccinated. Uh, Chancellor Farabee, kids will be kids. What is the plan for enforcement of social distancing and other safety measures for younger students in particular? Uh Uh-oh, I think we just lost the chancellor again. So if you can still hear me, I can't hear you. Uh, Lewis Farabee, thank you so much for joining us. Lewis Farabee is the chancellor of D.C. Public Schools. Joining us now is Elizabeth Davis, the president of the Washington Teachers' Union. Liz Davis, I hope you can hear me.
7: Yes, I can, Kojo. Good afternoon. Yes,
0: and we hear you very well. I'll first start generally, Liz Davis. How do you respond to the chancellor's comments?
7: Well, Kojo, I... uh I'm delighted, of course, to hear that President Biden is putting more funds towards the safe reopening of our schools and that returning teachers and other school workers will be able to receive the vaccine before they return. Uh, However, uh, as you know, in December, Chancellor Furby and I signed a memorandum of agreement and a school readiness checklist to set the metrics and guidelines for safely returning teachers and students in February for in-person learning. However, this agreement, and and this agreement basically assured parents and teachers and others that all reopening buildings would be safe for reopening. Last week, the WTU basically had to, uh, you know, initiate some arbitration to get the responses, the data we need to ensure that HVAC systems have been uh, repaired. We had hoped that the agreement would mean that DCPS would move forward in partnership with us, sharing data and information that parents and teachers are still asking in order to, you know, to ensure this safe return. Um, but, you know, one of the issues that you raised during that interview was the issue of vaccines. And teachers, we are being bombarded by teachers who are asking why cannot uh, we wait until uh, the second dose vac- has been um you know, administered to teachers and other school workers before we reopen. Uh, I'm not fully understanding why we could not wait. It would make a huge difference. And, of course, I was happy to hear the chancellor talk about the conditions of the facilities. The agreement was that WTU would receive data on parent demand to return to in-person learning. We've not received such data, nor do we know how or why the individual school plans which were chosen by those community core teams that the Chancellor mentioned, have basically been ignored. So the parents and teachers and other school workers who developed those plans selected the options for how they wanted to do this. Those options were pushed to the side and another decision was made. So we, we, don't, we still don't have detailed data on the facilities. This is a major issue. The repairs that have been done that Chancellor Furby has alluded to to the HVAC system school by school to ensure that the schools have, will have safe airflow and air quality. So I was happy to hear the gentleman uh, who who raised the question about the, the CO2 meters, because that was one of the proposals we made for the school readiness checklist. You know, N95 masks, which are medical grade masks for the healthcare workers in the schools, but also those teachers who will be working in very close proximity with very fragile students who are special needs students. So, you know, we have a very good memorandum of agreement. Uh, I I had hoped that this would be, would set the guidelines for how we reopen the schools because it engaged teachers pre-K through 12 in every content area weighing in. However, if the agreement is not adhered to, it is just (laughs) a waste of time. And at this time, we have over 17 uh, violations, non-compliance violations with the agreement that Chancellor Furby and I signed in December. That's disturbing for me.
0: You've also said that you fear the Chancellor is asking more teachers to return than necessary. What makes you think that?
7: Because we have not been able to receive from uh, Chancellor Furby what the family demand is school by school. That's not a hard ask. If we have a school with uh, 25 families or students returning, there is no need to return 25% of our teachers. We don't want to disrupt the distance learning that is working so well for some students uh, by, you know, by pulling those teachers. Family demand is really what's supposed to be driving the reopening plans in each school. But if you have a low family demand, especially in schools, you mentioned west of the park, east of the river, what I've noted, we've been tracking the number of families that trust the reopening plans more so than others. And those schools in Ward 7 and 8, we see a high percentage of parents who are hesitant about sending their kids back because they know that many of the facilities in those two wards have not been modernized. They have faulty ventilation systems and they have been under resourced for decades. So they have reason to be concerned about whether or not DCPS is going to deliver on those things that they promised to put in place, the safety metrics and the safety protocols.
0: We got an email from Reg who asked, will the administrative staff and janitors get the vaccines before the schools open like the teachers are supposed to? Do you know, Liz?
7: I asked that question of the chancellor. It makes sense that any staff member working in every school should be able to receive that vaccine because uh, if only the teachers. And of course, I was assured that all school workers who will be reporting to buildings will be able to get the vaccine.
0: And here is Melissa, who self identifies as a DCPS teacher. Melissa, you're on the air. Go ahead, please.
5: Hi, my name is Melissa, and I am a DCPS teacher, and I actually am just coming from um, going into the building this morning for the first time for the school year. And I just kind of wanted to express some of the concerns that I saw um, and some breaks in what I would consider some of the safety protocols. Um, Some of it being that I saw multiple people not following mask guidelines. Um, Some of our restrooms were not having running water or the proper equipment, um, key cards not working, no streamlined entrance into the building. And I am a person who has been called to return. And I guess at this point, um, I guess what advice do you have for teachers who are noticing these violations and maybe don't feel comfortable going to administration, but also don't feel comfortable being inside the buildings?
7: Liz Davis. Great question, Malta, thank you. And of course, when we created the school readiness checklist, we created a reporting form where parents teachers will be able to submit any concerns with photos uh, showing where safety protocols have not met, been met. So I'm going to ask you to reach out to Joe Whedon at our uh, office, Malta. Uh, and if you go on our website, you will see the document for reporting all issues, all evidence of a compliance with the school readiness checklist. We need to have that information as soon as possible because one of the items that we filed in the complaint for noncompliance is the fact that teachers and parents have not been provided evidence that all of those safety metrics have been put in place.
0: Okay, thank you very much for your call. Liz Davis, this could end up being a year, likely two years, without consistent in-person school. What effect might that have on kids today?
7: Well, Kojo, and I know that it's going to be devastating for all students uh, and more so for some of our most vulnerable students, especially those students in the at-risk categories, according to the council. These are the special education students, ELL students, homeless students. Students are far behind. And of course, our teachers are the first to acknowledge that it is imperative that we get students back to in-person teaching as, as soon as possible for lots of reasons, social and emotional engagement, uh, social and emotional support and health. But priority number one must be to ensure that when these students return that, they are not, that they're going to be safe, that the workers, the teachers and other staff who will be engaging with them will be safe. We can always recover loss of learning. We cannot recover loss of lives. So safety has got to remain a priority in reopening. And it's far more than just having sanitizers and PPE. We're still working with the Nurses Union on getting the appropriate PPE for the nurses who will be assigned to each school. Although we have 115 campuses, we have about 85 nurses. Therefore, in those schools without full-time nurses, there will be something called health experts. We have no idea what that is, what it means, what what would be the certification for these individuals. So if we adhere to the agreement that we made as to how this should be done safely, that would be the first step and some of the other issues that are coming up right now from teachers around the vaccine. And I'm happy that it is available. I was very disappointed to see teachers standing in line last night around the entire city block at Dunbar waiting to get vaccines. And I'm happy to hear that there's a schedule for them to receive them. But a number of our members who may or may not be called back for in-person have already been denied a vaccine. And I do understand that those individuals who who are returning for in-person should be given priority. But we have some teachers who are working remotely. Eventually, they will be returning. And to avoid this timeline that that the CDC is calling for, the time span between the first and second dose, we can actually have a plan that will will be able to vaccinate these individuals who will be returning for possibly the fourth term. But waiting until the last minute is not a good idea because it basically is going to get us what we see happening right now.
0: Here's Ethan in Washington, D.C. Ethan, you're on the air. Go ahead, please.
7: Hi, thank you. Um, I'm the
4: husband of a teacher. My um, one question for, for WTU, I suppose, would be why uh, the union uh, was willing to sign an agreement that did not include either vaccines or uh, N95 masks. And I don't know, perhaps the union can speak to this, or if we get Chancellor Ferry back on the line. The refrain I hear is that it's important to get students back to class because we know they do better in school. But I don't think we have any information about how students perform in a classroom that's feeding, uh, you know, 10 students while the teacher is also teaching to 30 students virtually um, with masks on. Uh, basically, we're not returning students to a pre-pandemic school. So what type of performance from students are we expecting? I don't think it's pre-pandemic level. Thank you.
7: Ms Liz Davis. Ethan, you are absolutely positively right. Uh, the, return, the reopening plans for returning the, the small groups of students is not a return to normalcy because you're right. The teachers will be teaching virtually as they are also instructing teachers, students in person. It's not a good plan. To answer your question about why we signed the safety readiness checklist in the MOA, the safety readiness checklist had in the very first category on the PPE, the N95 mask. That was deleted immediately by DCPS. The first response from the chancellor was, we cannot afford it. That is basically for healthcare workers. We totally disagree. We also had the CO2 meters, which one gentleman brought up earlier. So in order to reach agreement, because we don't want to be perceived as an obstructionist to getting kids back to in-person, we were delighted to be able to at least have a readiness checklist that we developed, shared with DCPS, they adopted it, rather than have nothing. As far as the MOA to include the vaccine as one of the criteria for reopening, we did not want to include that. Even, you know, we wanted to, however, it was rejected, just to answer that question. And we wanted to reach agreement on that MOA and safety readiness checklist before February 1st. So we had to basically make some concessions. Uh, We're working with the DC Nurses Association to ensure that the healthcare workers in those schools will have the N95 mask. But um, And we'll keep pushing on that. But we had to make some concessions in order to get that document finalized before February 1st.
0: We got a tweet from a listener who asked, have all schools passed that checklist that was agreed upon between D.C. public schools and the Washington Teachers Union?
7: The answer to that question, Kojo, is no. And that is another reason why we have filed for expedited arbitration. We have the hearing tomorrow. That is one of the reasons we listed the number of schools that have reported that they did not pass the school readiness checklist, that all of the safety metrics were not uh, adhered to, or or, or that the school did not meet the safety metric standard. So the only way we can get a quick answer, because we have tried to get this data from DCPS for months now, is to basically go to a neutral third party, which is an arbitrator.
0: Elizabeth Davis is president of the Washington Teachers Union. Liz Davis, thank you so much for joining us.
7: Thank you for inviting me. Have a
0: good day. We're talking about schools reopening in this region, and still with us is Debbie Trong, WMU's education reporter. Debbie, I'd like to shift for a moment because D.C. is not the only jurisdiction grappling with these difficult decisions around schools reopening. Maryland Governor Larry Hogan has called on the state schools to return to hybrid learning no, no later than March 1st. How are Marylanders responding to the governor's remarks, and what are plans for Montgomery and Prince George's counties?
5: Sure. I mean, so, you know, certainly there have been families across the D.C. region who all along have wanted a return to in-person instruction. Um, The president of the Maryland State Education Association, which is um, the largest teachers union in Maryland, um, Cheryl Bost wrote a letter to Hogan and the state school superintendent really sort of chastising state officials for what she sees as lack of support for local school systems in getting um, schools to safely reopen she also, you know, criticized the state for not distribute, distributing vaccines quickly enough. Um, in Montgomery County Public Schools, um, there's a plan to partially reopen schools by March 15th. That date was pushed back from February 1st because of um, a rise of COVID-19 cases in the community. Um, Prince George's County Public Schools has also... Um, consider the possibility of returning in the spring if they feel conditions in the state are um, safe and ready for that, um, but they have not set out a specific plan or set a specific date for returning.
0: Here is Cindy in Montgomery County. Cindy, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hi, Cindy. Are you there?
2: Hi. Hi. Sorry, Kojo. Um, yeah, so I. I was in class so I didn't catch um, I was actually working with a student uh, most of your show I caught a part of it I just wanted to reiterate some of the points um, especially of the gentleman I think it was Ethan who just spoke and said it will not be the same experience I'm not sure if parents really understand that Um, you know teachers will be teaching online and they'll be teaching the students in class Um, so uh, you know and, and it will not be so it basically almost the students will be Online, but in the classroom, and you know, again, we will be masked. Um, so I, I just I, I think parents should understand that it won't exactly be the same experience. And then logistics haven't totally been worked out. Um, I know that in my classroom, um, there are, are four windows, so we're talking about ventilation. Um, there's always been issues with um, filters and the air filters, you know, air quality anyway. And um, so, to go to the point of safety. Um, There was a story on uh, AMU-NPR, I'm not sure, was it yesterday, that said we should now be double masking, so we should even be more careful. So the thought of going back when we're being told, you know, there's this variant that uh, is uh, more contagious, it just seems counterintuitive to the way things should be working. Um, And the only other point I wanted to make is, you know, again, going to the logistics of, you know, figuring out... uh, lunches and having the staffing you know for those students that do come back because it has to be so socially distanced um recess you know bathroom you know using the bathroom only a few at a time just having the amount of staff to do this all safety i don't think those questions have been fully addressed
0: okay thank you very much for your call cindy um Debbie, what about Virginia? Governor Ralph Northam also made a similar call for schools to reopen. So, what are plans in Virginia school districts in our region?
5: Yeah. So, um, Governor Northam did encourage school systems to reopen, and the state released new guidelines for um, localities that sort of describe, you know, safe conditions for reopening. Um, Fairfax and Loudoun counties, two of the largest school systems in Northern Virginia and our region, um, had started actually bringing students back to in-person classes. Um, you know, in the, in the first uh, half of the school year, they reverted to distance learning in mid-December as hospitalizations and coronavirus cases rise or rose. Um, And right now, both of those school systems are mulling over plans to possibly return in mid-February or partially return in mid-February.
0: What do the medical experts say, Debbie Trong? Can schools be reopened safely?
5: Sure. So this um, was alluded to earlier in the hour, but the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention released a study yesterday looking at data from schools that have reopened during the pandemic. Um, You know, they found that the COVID-19 or the coronavirus isn't being transmitted in any sort of um, widespread way inside school buildings and that schools can safely reopen open with precautions like mask wearing and social distancing. Um, The CDC also said though that local officials must be willing to limit other activities like indoor dining and bars to keep community infection rates low.
0: The voices that are getting lost in all of this seem to be the students. What have you heard from young people that you have spoken with? Are they feeling ready to get back in the classroom?
5: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there's a desire for, you know, students and children to be with their friends and they want that socialization um, and they miss being in the physical classroom, you know, at at the same time, I think especially older students, um, middle and high school students understand the risk that the coronavirus poses. Um, You know, I talked with a student recently whose family, uh, entire family became sick with COVID-19 and she saw firsthand sort of how It affected them and, um, you know, she said, you know, she's a sophomore in, in high school and she said that she would be willing to stay home for as long as is necessary to avoid having to experience that again.
0: We got an email from Anne who said, while I appreciate the fact that some schools and some groups may be able to return to school safety, there are high schools in Montgomery County with student populations over 3000. Even with the hybrid schedule suggested in the past, you would still have over 1000 students in hallways, etc. at once, making social distance impossible. I fail to see how it would be feasible to meet the CDC guidelines for returning to school safely. Debbie Trong, have you been hearing anything about those very large high schools with large populations of students and that they'd still conceivably be fairly crowded if they reopen?
5: That's definitely a concern in some of these school buildings. Like, realistically, teachers are wondering how, you know, young children will be able to, you know, have the, I guess mindset to to socially distance and um, having to perpetually remind them um, is going to be a struggle. But yeah, but there are, you know, space constraints, particularly in a lot of the larger suburban school districts that are already overcrowded.
0: Here is Miriam in Chevy Chase. Miriam, you're on the air. Go ahead, please.
3: Hi, thank you for taking my call. I teach at Montgomery College. I have a son at MCPS in high school, which is one of the large high schools. And I just wonder why elected officials, parents, and others assume that teachers don't want to be back in the classroom face-to-face. Most of us really do not enjoy teaching over Zoom and would much rather be working with our students face-to-face in the classroom. And so it's kind of discouraging to hear everybody assuming that this is not something we want to do. We love being in the classroom.
0: I'm pretty sure you love being in the classroom, but what as you pointed out you have a son who's in one of those very large high schools uh what are your concerns if any about the ability to main social distancing in that environment
3: oh well he goes to a school where there's 3200 kids there's no way it's gonna they're not going to be able to social distance it's but, there's but, too many of them
0: but you would still prefer for him to be in school
3: um i would to be honest. I don't know. I can't. You know, it's hard to dis- to say. I think for high school students, if if people have to go back to school, I think for high school students, they do better on Zoom than let's say elementary school students, okay. and those schools tend to be smaller. My my point is mostly that I keep hearing people saying teachers don't want to go back to school and that we're putting up all these barricades. But at this, but I know from the people that I work with and other teachers that we would much rather be in the classroom. We just want to do it safely. And so to automatically assume we don't want to be in the classroom and that we like teaching on Zoom is an incorrect assumption.
0: Okay. Thank you very much for your call. Let's hear from someone who works in Carroll County Public Schools. Here's Andrew. Andrew, you're on the air. Go ahead, please.
4: Thank you so much. Uh, first of all, I just wanted to, to just really give a shout out to all of the unions out there who are advocating for teachers because uh, the unions and the teachers really have been, I think, vilified uh, throughout all of this. And we just want to be safe and we want to create environments for our students who are safe. My concern is with the local boards of ed. In Carroll County, we attempted to go back hybrid in November, and we were only, uh, for the high schoolers, we were only in hybrid for four days before we had okay. to go back all virtual. We came back in January, and, um, and this is after the Christmas and New Year's COVID numbers were just starting to come out. Our health department said we should not go back to school, and our board of ed said, well, thanks for that bit of information, um, let's go back to school. And so
1: yeah.
0: my okay. concern is just
4: what kind, of, um, you know, what kind of oversight is there for boards of ed? And, and, on, that,
0: and on that question, we're going to have to end because there's still a lot of questions. Debbie Trong, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Debbie is WMU's education reporter. Today's show was produced by Julie Deppenbrock. Coming up tomorrow, throughout the pandemic, neighbors and support organizations stepped up their efforts to help those in need. In our latest Kojo in Your Community, Neighbors Helping Neighbors, we speak with some leaders of nonprofits and a local volunteer who has gone above and beyond. That all starts at noon tomorrow. Until then, thank you for listening and stay safe. I'm Kojo Nam. Nam.
7: The Kojo Nambi Show is produced by Julie Deffenbrock, Cindy Grannon, Lauren Marco, Kurt Gardiner, Richard Cunningham, and Ines Renike. Our managing producer is Ingalisa Lisa Our broadcast engineer is Rashad Young. Today's engineer was Mike Kidd. For past shows and more content, visit
5: kojoshow.org.